So we keep on keeping on. Hey, little humans. I'm Norma Jean, and this is Stay Wild, the podcast about how to keep your quirks in the wondrous world. This is episode number 17, and today we're talking to Robin Lynn, who's an intimacy coach, tantra guide, and founder of The Present Sense. She has some really valuable, amazing things we all need to talk about, like consent, like being in your body, like the felt sense. So I'm so excited to bring you this interview. It's going to be amazing. We have a toast poem waiting for you. And uh, don't forget to check out the codes Stay Wild or Stay Wild Abundance if you're coming for Bali Spirit Festival. If you're coming over to Bali, today's episode is also brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I'm a singer-songwriter. My music's used here on the podcast. You can see my shirts of all my inspirational Daily Doodle cartoons. We've got over a thousand and counting on my website, NJLoves. That's NJ, like Norma Jean Loves.com. If you're liking the show, as usual, please subscribe, share the show, write us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. And let's get to it, little humans. Stay wild. All right, little humans, I'm here today. Today's guest is Robin Lynn. Robin is an intimacy coach, Tantra guide, and she's doing some really cool things. We're going to delve into the space of what is Tantra? Robin, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What is Tantra is a big question with a different answer for from about almost every person that you talk to. Mm. Mm. Tantra is a huge scope of spiritual practice and originating in India, one of our more ancient spiritual traditions. And Tantra, you know, a lot of people have this idea of like, I don't know, that's something having to do with sex and meditation, which is not exactly on the mark. Okay. Right. So a lot of what we're looking at in Tantra is the process of awakening of becoming more conscious of ourselves, more conscious and connected to the world around us, but not through transcendence, not through just going up into higher states, but down and in through the body. So waking up through the levels of our psyche, through our humanness, and through the body, and becoming aware of our divinity here on Earth. Not in some place later, or some heaven after Earth, or some other realm, but right here and now. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And what does that involve? Is it, I mean, obviously for, for me, you know, little Norma Jean, I mean, it strikes up. I always feel like it's like sting in the late nineties. That word was thrown around a lot, right? Like Tantra stings having sex for hours. And you're like, okay, cool. Desert Rose. Um, (laughs) And then also, you know, I think there's always that connotation where words like Tantra or Kama Sutra or whatever they are, have like, you know, things that were ancient practices or texts have been used for like, you know, you're thinking like, okay, that's a Cinemax late night, like soft porn movie, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like whatever it is. So yeah. it's, it's so interesting. It sounds like it's really a whole practice. Yeah. A number of different practices and what Tantra is a living tradition. So it's changing and growing all the time, including right now. Tantra came to the West in a big way, like in the 60s and 70s. And then what developed in the West, in the United States, in that time, became a kind of completely different animal than what Tantra was traditionally in its context of Hinduism in India, surrounded by mantra and mudra and puja and ritual. You know, all that was kind of taken out as it came to the West. Yeah, okay. But now, at this point... 
what I see happening, because I've had exposures to both worlds, the neo-tantra of the U.S. and the traditional tantra, Mm. they have gifts for each other, actually. They have beautiful gifts for each other, because what's happening in India now, in the ashram that I'm connected to, the lineage that I'm part of, you have the beautiful tradition, you have the deeper essence, but what you don't have is the capacity for conscious communication and the more modern sense of somatics and understanding of neurobiology that Western and psychology that Westerners tend to have. So I see right now that there's actually a possibility for uh, like something entirely new that's developing in the Tantra world. Cool. Okay. So when you say ashram, for those at home who've like seen Eat, Pray, Love, and they're like, oh, she went to an ashram. An ashram is pretty much like a closed center where people can go and study a certain practice, right? So there's yoga ashrams, there's meditation ashrams, there's different um, schools in terms of Hinduism or Buddhism or yoga. And so going to India, what does that involve? Like what is the the school that you're involved with in India? Is is there a physical practice? Is it yoga? Is it movement? What is that? So the ashram that I'm connected to is called Devi Puram. It's in Tamil Nadu in India. That's in the south, right? In the south, yes. Guruji, Amritananda Nata, who is the spiritual leader of that ashram, passed. It's been now just not that long, two years, maybe two and a half years since he passed. He was a really radical guy who really believed, like, for, for Tantra in India has often been very secretive, very hush-hush, in part because it's subversive, because yeah. it puts power in the hands of the people and out of the, the, the priestly class. And Guruji really believe people need these practices. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be secretive anymore. He really wanted to bring them out. So he, and also make them accessible to Westerners. So he created this ashram, created it in the 80s. I went there maybe 2013 was the first time I went there. Cool. And yeah, it's a center. It's a place where people, both local Indians and people, Westerners, a lot of Russians, interestingly, um, <laughs> but also Americans, Australians, people from all over and different walks of life come to be in the field that's there. There's a certain sense of reality that exists there that you kind of have to be there to feel. Yeah. So just being there has its own teaching. Yeah. And um, you go there to do the practices. So some of it's meditation. Some of it's puja, which is um, like a form of meditation that's active, that uses elements like water, incense, ghee, um, a red powder called kumkum, things that you're doing physically. The reason for the physicality is so that, you know, if you just sit and meditate quietly and you're inside your head, there can start to be this real separation of like, this is meditation and then everything else is the rest of life. But if your meditation is physical, you're pouring the water, you're offering the ghee, you're doing these things with your hands, there's a way you learn how to bring meditative presence into the doingness of life. Okay. So it's integrating that spiritual separation into the minutiae of your life. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so it's really like the human spirituality. Yes. Okay. So like a lot of times what happens in a traditional puja is they'll be um, making offerings to the deity. And the way the belief is, it's not that the deity is like some other form out there, but that when you're honoring the deity, the deity is a mirror reflection of you. So you're honoring those qualities that exist inside of you and bringing them forward more. Bring, bring emphasis on them and bringing them more into manifestation. 
Ah, okay. Because I, um, I've heard from a couple people, you know, that when you worship different Hindu deities, it's not that you're worshiping another God, it's that you're worshiping those qualities within yourself, right? Yes. So when you, when you pray to Ganesha, who's this like big elephant Hindu God, for those of you, he's the remover of all obstacles. So when you make blessings or pray to Ganesha, you're removing the obstacles in your life or you're, you're honoring the part of yourself that removes obstacles. Yes. Yeah. And it's so interesting that Tantra is really about the physicality of it because I always have this theory. I mean, there's literally something that's just been in my head <laughs> for a while where I'm like, yeah, I mean, we can all meditate and, and we can all try to get to some, you know, esoteric higher level of consciousness, but we were given bodies made out of human meat for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like our, bo- we're walking around in a meat body. Mm-hmm. Like it's a human body and it's like human meat. Mm-hmm. And like we're conscious beings, right? Like, you know, we have thoughts and intentions <laughs> and we're somewhat aware some of the time, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it's kind of like a meat suit, right? Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting that Tantra integrates the meat suit with the consciousness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you know, just in a very practical sense, the further I go on this path, what I get is there's, there's, there's an increasing sense of permeability between my sense of myself and my inner world and the outer world around me. So it's like the sense of connection just to simple things, like the plants were in this really beautiful green place right yeah, now. Yeah, we're, we're coming at you live from my garden here in <laughs> Bali. So. <laughs> so there's like green, beautiful leaves all around and flowers, and I can look at them visually and see them, but that's only just one sense. But if I take that meditative attention and root it in my body, it just takes a little shift and a knowing. There's some practice that, that makes that easier and easier. Then it's not just seeing them, like they're over there and I'm over here, but there's a sense of being with, sharing the space, like that I can see, feel, hear, sense them. And maybe in some way they, the plants themselves, can sense me, that there's this reciprocal awareness that now their way of seeing and knowing is different than mine right and we, and often in the west we just think of these things like we're conscious and those things are sort of they're alive but they're kind of inert that's right kind of well tre- we i mean trees talk to each other through the root systems and yes. there's all these things with trees where a lot of the time i forget what it's called it's called like crown crown something or other but with trees where when there's like a giant canopy they, they they kind of create like a little matrix where they're they're all kind of bordering each other in the tops of the trees, but they don't touch. Yes, they all kind of make this like this conscious space for each other. It's really interesting. Yeah, so there's a there's a form of communication that's happening all the time, back and forth signals, and a lot of the time we're not paying any attention to that. And there's this incredible sense of connectedness that can open up as we start to pay attention to that and know that we're completely part of that where it, that's inseparable from us. Right. And in that way, it's impossible to be alone. If we open to beings that aren't just humans, we open to the more than human world, yeah. we're never alone, actually. Right. We can we can feel alone, we get stuck in thought. Yeah. And we get stuck because thought by nature is alone. It's not down and in the body. So when we're identified with a thought, that thought is isolated in its little thought bubble. You let go of that, come back into the breath. The breath is what's moving into me and out of me and into you, into you and back to me in this flow, in this place of communication. The breath is what connects everything. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. There was a, um, 
I saw Vijay Gopala, who's a yogi from mm. Mysore, speak here in Bali last year. And he did this whole presentation about how people are not at the top of a pyramid. It's like a symbiotic circle. Yes. And the minute we forget that, we kind of lost the plot. Yes. Yeah. It's so interesting. Wow. Okay, so you went to study in India. You went to this ashram. And how did you initially get interested in Tantra? What was that journey like for you? Because yeah. you're American like me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in small town Minnesota, really kind of mainstream culture, Christian, mostly Republican, mostly white around me. And I always had a pretty big kind of uh, spiritual hunger from the time I was really young. Yeah. And when I was earlier, that took the form of getting into this really charismatic Christianity. My family wasn't into it, but I got Yeah, yeah, like feel the spirit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because that was from, at that time, that was what was alive. That was what was moving. It's so interesting because I feel like a a lot of the time, spirituality for a lot of people, it can come in the form of Christianity or Judaism or Hinduism or, or Islam or Buddhism. And they're really just roads to the same place. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I went on quite a big journey with this charismatic Christian movement that I was part of and joined an org- a missions organization, told my parents, I'm not going to college. I'm doing this instead. <laughs> really went gung ho. And then after a few years of that, I found myself, I graduated high school. It was a few years after graduation. I got, I started to get disillusioned, started mm-hmm. to see that like, the spirit, the miracles that I was hoping for weren't really metabolizing or weren't really materializing in mm. the, in my life. And I was feeling depressed and mm. I was gaining weight and gaining more weight and gaining more weight and feeling this kind of like emptiness. And I, I didn't really know what it was. I just knew that there was the way I had conceived of the cosmology had some big holes in it mm. because there's certain parts of me that just weren't getting fed. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't nourished. Weren't nourished. Yeah. And what I came to see over time was that part of what really wasn't getting nourished was all of what you might call the feminine. my The body, mm. the emotions, sexuality and sensuality. Like all of those things weren't talked about. Mm. And also just weren't weren't really acknowledged or, or seen as important in the worlds that I was in. I, I find that in the West a lot of the time... For, for women especially, there's this lack of value placed on women's pleasure, placed on women's like empowerment and self-love. And it's not just from like a corporate, like, oh, pay women more. Like, yes, definitely we should. Yeah. But there's this whole thing. Like, I, I just read an article that was like, most sex scenes in movies end when the guy comes. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. that's not how sex works. Yeah. Yeah. But if that's the only thing you're you're given, that's the only thing you're shown, how else are you going to know? You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where those examples of, you know, the full embodiment of humanity isn't always there for women. Yes. Yeah. And th- I mean, so this is essential on so many levels from the level we were just talking about. Like, yeah, women deserve to have their pleasure and their style of sensuality and sexuality honored and welcomed and celebrated in so many ways. But also, if you keep extrapolating it out, like our willingness and capacity to stay connected to our sensual self is our capacity to take care of our planet. If we if we feel the environment around us, like the way a mother feels a baby that she's breastfeeding, mm. like we're going to take care of that being because it's part of our body. It's part of us. Yeah. If we pull up out of our felt sense, which 
that's what patriarchy is. You know, there's this idea like patriarchy is like men are taking control. Guess what? Men completely suffer under patriarchy, not just women. Mm. Men suffer too. It's, men suffer in this in some different ways, but I think equally by being disassociated, disconnected from the felt sense. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, emotions are a lot of the time in the West seen as a weakness. Yeah. Vulnerability is a weakness and really it's a strength. I mean, I think it's like, here I am. Here's my heart. I'm going for it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to talk about and challenging sometimes. To oh, my practice. God. It's the hardest. It's vulnerable. You know, it's, it's opening ourselves up again and again to be impacted by others, to be impacted by the world around us and to respond. And we're in a situation and, and you know, you could argue maybe humanity's always been in a crisis point. But yeah it's pretty easy to look around and go, whoa, we're we're in quite a moment here. So to wake up inside of this, all the environmental degradation that's happening, all of what's happening right now and say, okay, I'm going to be willing to feel this and listen and meet it with that meditative awareness Mm. and transmute, transform that energy inside my own being, inside my own being, create change inside my own being. Yeah. And then maybe there's action out there that flows from that. Mm-hmm. But not before. It's first felt inside. Because if we don't receive the pain first inside ourselves, then any kind of activism we do out there is a kind of pushing away that pain mm. and creating more of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you started out Minnesota. Yeah. yeah Minnesota yeah. girl. Yeah. You got uber Christian because that's how that was your exposure to spirituality at the time. And then it sounds like that wasn't filling up your cup. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I ended up slowly kind of breaking up with God, like getting really disillusioned and feeling like, well, I guess none of that's true. This whole idea I had about my mission and my purpose. And and that was such a sad process for me. Um, Really heartbreaking. And the way I took it was like, oh, well... I was just young and naive, and I thought there was a God, and I thought I had a purpose. But really all there is is just practicality and science and intellect, and I Mm. should just be, you know, smart and a good citizen and be well entertained. You know, like, that's just what there is to do. I had that moment also in my (laughs) life. It was like instead of, you know, like, I studied business, and then I went and I took this, like, businessy, you know, aggressive business job, and it was like, you know, I was like, well, you know, I'm not feeling this, so let me just, like, let my heart die real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you and you there you actually feel it physically. It's very restraining. Yeah. In your chest. For me at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I <laughs> my whole first year after I left the, the this org this church organization, I went back to college. Mm. And my whole first year of college, God, I spent so much time like laying on the floor of my dorm room, just like crying, like, ah, who am I? And what does anything mean? Yes, yes. You know, like scribbling Ani DeFranco quotes on the wall. And, like, <laughs> you know. That's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, I was, and it was a really hard time for a couple of years. Yeah. And it wasn't until after I graduated college, I moved out to Seattle. I just had this sense. I, I'd never even been there. Mm. But a girlfriend of mine had, was going through a rough time. She needed a new start. And we were joking like, hey, let's just move to the West Coast. And it turned from a joke into a reality. And we moved to the West Coast. And we brought like six of our friends with us. We moved all in this big caravan. And I got to Seattle and immediately felt 
a sense of home and a familiarity with the people and the culture there. Mm. And at that time in Seattle, there was a really big sex positive scene happening. Whenabouts was it? I moved there 2003. 2003. Yeah. 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 Okay. 2003. 2003. And so... I started working for Head Start, which is a government program for low-income, free preschool for low-income families. Families. So I was doing this during the day, like being a good social worker. And then by night, I just started exploring all what was happening in the Seattle sex positive community. So what I mean by sex positive. Yeah, let's talk about what that is. Because yeah. for a lot of people, whenever you say positive around sex, they think HIV. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I do. I'm just like, oh, positive sex. Like, okay, that's a whole other topic. But yeah. What is sex positive? Yeah. So the, the sex positive community is kind of an umbrella term for um, a lot of different little sub movements. Essentially, people who are saying, look, sex is part of life. Let's be open and honest and healthy and take care of ourselves around that. And let's celebrate. Let's get out of our judgment and our shame and celebrate it, including celebrating all of the ways in which our sex might show up as um you know, so-called divergent or alternative. So yeah, like, like kinky or yeah, right. BDSM, however people label that. Right. And that's so funny. Cause polyamory, I am multiple lovers with right, conscious consent. Right. I always feel like, you know, there's this thing in the West where we only really sexualize abs, dudes with abs, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. dudes with abs. And then like really thin, tall women, like mm-hmm. it's a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it, you know, when you live more in the world, like I'm from LA, I grew up thinking, well, you weren't a sexual being unless you were a model or mm-hmm. something. And, um, you know, moving more into the world, you realize everyone, you know, mm-hmm. is a sexual being. Yes. Yes. It's part of having a meat suit and being human. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, what I, what I came to see was how much, I mean, during this period of my life, I started exploring lots of, lots of these things and really coming alive again. So I hadn't realized like there was a low level of depression I was, had been sitting with since I'd had this kind of breakup with God. Mm. And it was by giving attention to my body and allowing my sexuality to come back in, in really in a way that I hadn't when I was younger, I had all this conditioning that I didn't even know was there Mm. about being quiet or not moving too much or not taking initiative sexually. And, you know, it it moved for me in a short number of years from being a participant in women's sexual empowerment workshops. And a lot, I did a lot of women, these, these beautiful women's sexual empowerment workshops that Mm. were about embodiment, conscious breath, conscious dance, conscious touch, how to really show up in our own bodies and our own hands and take care of each other and, mm. and provide healing and growth and nourishment for each other in this beautiful set and setting, like really held in, in a sacred way, mm. which is kind of a fancy way to just say in a, in a tender way, in a loving way. Yeah. In a safe space. You know, I think a lot of the time when people come into these experiences that are alternative and they're, you know, they're asked to be really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's important to say, look, no one here is judging you. <laughs> and and it's really nice when you go into a space and the person holding the space is like, you know, you go into like a women's circle or a workshop or a class and someone says, look, we're here to be vulnerable. We're all here to support each other. No one is judging you. Mm-hmm. Let's get weird. Yeah. Like, yep. like yeah. we're, you know what I mean? Like, we're not here to live in boxes. Yeah. We're here to be in our bodies. And what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. 
And it's really revealing to sit in a circle where you have that safe space and to hear one, just to like see the variety of bodies. Mm. Because when all we see are the magazine images, yeah. which we all know are not what most of our bodies look like, there can be this pervasive sense of like, well, but my body is off or wrong. You know, and it's just, it gets this, this conditioned, repetitive sense. When you get a chance to just see a lot of varieties, you get the normalcy of your own body. You get the suchness of your own body. Yeah. A human variation is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And even like over the years, attending play parties, like places where people were coming to have sexual experiences with each other in a public sense setting. Yeah. Usually, you know, not this isn't like a drunk orgy. This is there's this opening circle. We talk about consent, how to never move into any action without verbal consent on both sides on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Safer sex practices always used like this. Yeah. And I. It was really so beautiful for me just to see a number of people having sex and making love with each other in lots of different ways and not in a pornified way. Yeah. Just like the ordinariness, kind of like when you see animals, like if you, well, we, you know, here in Ubud, like we can go to the monkey forest. Yeah. You just see monkeys, they're like grooming each other's hair and they're hanging yeah. out and they're fighting and these, these ones are having sex and those ones, the mom and the baby are yeah. together. And it's just like. Yeah. It's just another human it's just interaction. Another thing. Right. And there was something about that, of that passage for me of just getting the ordinariness of it. Yeah. The humanness of it. And it helped me bring so much compassion in toward myself and so much uh, healing to all the ways I had kind of split my sexuality off. Now, I don't know if I had even split it off or just that I inherited that. You know, maybe from my mom, maybe from my mom's mom. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I think as as a human being, we're taught that a lot of ourselves are okay for the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like our artistic sense or our athleticism or whatever. But our sexuality is like in a little box Mm -hmm. that's very precious and private that we Mm -hmm. keep under the bed. Mm -hmm. And we pull out on special occasions when there's someone there to open it with, you know, it's like, it's this thing where it's like, it's, it's the little thing and you know, it's not part, it's not integrated into our humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's true. I mean, I'd say, you know, one of the other things that started happening during that realm very practically is like, I was, I had a boyfriend at the time who was re- like really loved me and was really respectful and loved my body and also mm. was just really playful and sexual and so we just got to have a lot of sex and I had a lot of orgasms and it was like this is healthy for the body energy yeah. was moving through my body energy that had been stuck and stagnant was moving through my body in a big way yeah and there really is something to that process of it wakes up the spine it wakes up what we could call a kundalini like dormant energy in the body yeah and i just found myself feeling happier and healthier and more alive more connected Mm. so you moved to seattle you had all these amazing experiences how did you get from being a participant to being a leader i remember in one of these women's empowerment workshops Mm -hmm. that i was telling you about There's a beautiful experience at the end where you get to be touched and honored in a way that you've asked for. So you're totally in charge of it by two other women who are like your handmaidens Mm. and they take care of you. And and then you're in a circle of other women who are all also receiving the same experience. And I just remember getting my whole system flooded with 
energy with like a, a kind of electricity in that experience. And there's a, the facilitator's drumming at the end. So there's this rhythm, you know, for eons, humanity has been responding to rhythm of a drum, like the rhythm of the heartbeat, like the rhythm of the ocean coming into the shore, yeah. something really primal and familiar to a certain part of our brain about that. Yeah. And in that experience, I had, this was really the first time that I felt God in my body. Mm. I, I remember like opening and light flooding through my body, every cell in my body tingling and alive and awake and yeah, like divine, like this, this, this heightened state. Mm. One of the most sacred experiences I'd had at that point. Yeah. And that day it was just so clear to me, okay, this, whatever this energy is, I'm following this. I'm serving this. I'm a student of this. I'm in. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just clear. So I started volunteering for that same organization. Mm -hmm. I, I became an assistant for that organization. Oh, I got more training. Over time, I started opening my own practice where I was working with people, learning, helping support folks who wanted to bring more attention into their bodies and healing into their bodies and into their sexuality. So yeah. was, you know, I had mentors, so gradual bit by bit. And in the beginning, it was all about this kind of sex positive, let's bring the sex back. Yeah. But over time, I realized the sex was just a doorway. It, w it wasn't about the sex per se. It's just that because there is culturally so much shaming and conditioning to not pay attention to our, our sexuality, our mm. sensuality, that it keeps us up and out of our bodies and has us a bit dissociated, like either intellectually identified or just kind of spaced out in a certain way. Yeah. It's about feeling in and through the whole body. And you can't do that without feeling your sex. Right. So you have to go through the process of what it is to be able to feel your sex. But it doesn't, it doesn't end there. Yeah. Like it's not ultimately about better sex. It's about deeper presence in your whole life. Like being a better friend, being a better parent, you know, being plugged yeah. in and on the ground. Show up you and, are. and be there. Yeah. 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 So how does the sex positive tantra that you learned in the States, how does that connect with the tantra from India? Yeah. Because I mean, in India, it doesn't sound like they're having sex positive play parties. <laughs> they're certainly not having sex positive play parties. But at the ashram, you have to understand it's a totally different context. Like in India, right? Women are always in saris. This is not in a modern. Right. Not in India, Delhi. people dress very modestly. Very modestly. And there isn't feminism in the way or the degree that there is in the West. It's just a completely different yeah. context. So at Devi Puram, at the ashram there, at any Indian ashram, traditionally, there's murtis, statues of the deity. Uh -huh. And at Devi Puram, most of them are naked. And this is unusual. This in is, India. Yeah, this is unusual in India and controversial. Okay. And the reason why is because Guruji is for this message, is, is wanting to bring the human flesh and the divine beingness together and not have them be separate things, not have one be profane and the other be sacred, but have them be together. So... You go into the ashram and, and there's all these naked deities around. And some people, you know, some people are like, oh, T-T-E. They're like yeah. titillated by that or shocked or offended. Right. His intention is around normalizing. Yeah. And one of the temples there, 
there's several different temples around the ashram. Yeah. And one of them is the Yoni Pitam, is this anatomically correct vulva. Huge, enormous, like, uh, I don't know, how, the size of your porch here. <laughs> oh, like big, like a big, like a like a boat size. Yeah. Like a 30-foot yeah. boat. Yeah, like um, okay. cast in metal. Okay. And that is brought offerings to you every day, offerings to you every day, offerings to you every day. So why are we doing this? We're honoring the divine feminine. Mm. We're honoring the principle of the feminine that... Life is given birth from the earth. And it's consciousness itself meeting with the form of the earth, birthing life. And we all come from that place. We all come from the yoni. The yoni is a right. word for the vagina, for the vulva. Right? Yeah, yeah. So we all come from this place. And if we forget where we come from, if we disconnect from that, we get ourselves disconnected from what's truly sacred in the world. Yeah. And by bringing our attention back to the portal through which we came in, the yeah. yona, yoni, in yes. a sacred way, yeah. we reconnect with that cycle of life, of birth, sex, death, the way we come in, the way we go out. Okay. Yeah. And how, how I mean, how did Tantra get from India to, I want to say sexy town, but it's not like to conscious well, sexy town. Yeah. I mean, some of that is a distortion. Mm. You know, I'd say maybe a lot of it is a distortion. Yeah. Because what happened is, as Tantra comes to the West, mm. there's so much sexual repression and disconnection. Like, we sit on furniture in the West. We don't sit on the floors. We're not open in our hips. We're not, like, out in the fields with the plants every day. Not for many generations. Yeah. So there's a, just a abstraction away from the earth that we have in the West. Yeah. So Tantra comes to the West, and everyone gravitates to the fact that there's some kind of sexual analogy happening or metaphor happening here and some some emphasis on sexuality and they make it about that okay and then it becomes this distortion of like 10 ways to have better sex or to have longer lasting orgasms da, 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 da. right all that stuff is fine and it's cool but it's not really getting the point of tantra yeah the the real you know people talk or i don't know if you've heard this term but divine union the, the union of the masculine and the feminine yeah and often that's thought of as you know between two lovers it can manifest that way but the first practice mm. is the divine union is between is inside the self between the masculine which is awareness itself and the feminine which is the body and the rising felt sense of emotion and energy okay so it's where thought makes sense Yes. Not thought. Awareness. Awareness. Okay. Uh, so thought would be something that arises inside awareness. Okay. So it's where awareness yeah. meets feeling. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to dig back in with Robin Lynn. Thanks, Robin. Thank you. Exciting news, little humans. Today's episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I make all my art, music, daily doodle cartoons, which you can see on my website, njloves. That's nj, like normajeanloves.com. We've also teamed up with Bali Spirit Festival. It's been mentioned a few times on the podcast, and some of the guests are going to present there. Levi Banner, Nadine McNeil, Awahoshi. It's April 2nd through 8th. 2018. And we've teamed up with them to offer you guys a discount to come to Bali and come to Bali Spirit Festival. So hopefully it's that extra little push to get you over here. 
Use the code STAYWILD for $40 off the five-day spirit pass or Stay Wild Abundance for $50 off the full enchilada abundance pass. So hopefully for, for those of you that are listening to the podcast and really resonating with the content, with the guests, with the spirit of Bali, it'll help get you here to Bali to meet some of the people that have come on the podcast and really join the spirit of what we're doing. If you do like the podcast, as usual, please subscribe, write us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, share the show with your friends. It's available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and also Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. So, you know, every time you hear a bell, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> and every time you write a review and share the show, other people are able to find it. It moves us up in the rankings. So hopefully in the in the algorithm. So hopefully. Hopefully um, more people will find the show and can share in all of these amazing stories and journeys and niche expertise. So I hope you're enjoying today's episode and let's get back to it. All right, little humans, we're back here with Robin Lynn, intimacy coach, tantra guide. After the break, hi, Robin. Hey. (laughs) So before the break, we talked about... Tantra, we talked about your journey of leaving a traditional religious path, coming into, you know, growing up Midwest Christian, coming into finding your own community of sacred sexuality, Tantra, going to India and learning the traditions behind that. Mm -hmm. And now, what do you do in terms of a Tantra practice? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So, Tantra practice is essentially the practice of presence, Mm. somatic presence. So soma, the body, Mm. bringing attention down and into the body. So we keep, I keep talking about down and in, down and in, down and in. So this is the feminine face of awakening. If the the masculine face of awakening is kind of up and out into these transcendent realms, the feminine face is down and in to the body onto the earth. So the breath is huge. Like every day I have several times during the day where I just stop and consciously pay attention to my breath. Mm. Listen to it come all the way in, feel the lungs inflate, the diaphragm drop down, belly Mm. expand all the way down to the root, to the pelvic floor, let it come all the way out. Five minutes of that, no matter what else is going on, I'm back home. You know, I'm back in my center. And it's a way of learning to regulate your own nervous system, mm. regulate your own moods, and bring yourself back home. Yeah, say. moods are a choice. Yeah. Funny stuff, you know? Yeah. Emotions are a choice. Their emotions are an outcome of a thought. Yeah. So when you think about it, right, like emotions and moods, a lot of the time we get stuck in them. And yeah, there's absolutely things like clinical depression where you're really you know, stuck in a pattern or a, or a thought process or a feeling. And it can be chemical mm-hmm. because of that, but they're a choice. Yeah. And a lot of the time, what I find is if I, if I find myself feeling agitated or feeling frustrated or having a difficult time, if I stop and really look at it, I'll see that I'm not all the way in my felt sense. Like I'm, I'm looping with my thoughts and felt sense is how we feel in the body, how we feel in the body in a meditative way. So I'm not analyzing or judging Mm. how I'm feeling, but I'm being with it directly. So like things like, okay, there's a sense of, um, flow down my left leg. There's a little bit of heaviness in my right. I feel some tingling up my spine. 
like this kind of felt sense all the way in and through the entire body. Now that doesn't mean I'm happy all the time. Yeah, no, no. When I, the weather right. is changing all the time, right. and this is part of the practice: is being willing to be with pretty wide range of different frequencies or flavors of what arises inside. Yeah, and just keep meeting it with that pure presence, pure awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, thank you, arthritic knee, for showing up. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you you know, like beautiful openness in my hips today. Like it's, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Whatever it is, be there with it. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things like in my daily life that I do a lot is I have times when I get together with friends for the specific agreement that we're gonna, we call it do a belly to belly session or do a co-regulation together where we just get together, we'll either just sit side by side, maybe touching arms and the sides of our legs. Yeah. Or if it's someone where we're more familiar with each other, we might lay down facing each other, like kind of holding hands and yeah. looking at each other. And we just breathe together. Mm. Just that. I like Get underneath language. Get underneath the way the mind is kind of spinning around. Each of us come into our own breath and synchronize our breath together mm. and there's a kind of contact that happens is we call it limbic resonance uh, limbic is the, the animal sense the more primal sense of the mm. body we bring our attention into that into our own first and then into the partners and there's a richness of connection that happens there really soothing really simple mm. and really beautiful yeah yeah cool okay so and when you do sessions with people, what does that entail? Because a lot of the time in the West, when you say Tantra, mm-hmm. um, people don't know what that is, right? Like I was saying at the very beginning of the episode, you think Desert Rose, you think Sting and his four hour, you know, yeah. orgasm, whatever it is. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, you think, or you think like the Cinemax, like softcore yes, thing yes, that's yes. on at three in the morning, right? So what does that entail in terms of a session? And, and what are the sexual practices that play into that? Yeah. Okay. So when this idea of the five-hour orgasm, yeah, whatever, like where this comes from, is what we're what we're looking at in tantra is how to expand our capacity to hold a charge in the body. Uh, so, but holding a charge, like you know how when you you get a little agitated and then you can hang on to it for a little while and then eventually you might explode. You didn't hold the charge of it. Mm. Didn't expand big enough to allow that energy to be in you and then to direct it in Mm. some way. Like when you get angry? When you get angry or if we get depression often is when there's sadness there that isn't being felt. Mm. And so there's this listlessness, this kind of like disconnecting from the sadness to the grief that's there underneath. Yeah. So learning to learning to stay with the intensity of sexual stimulation, that's one of the strongest energies we can have. Right. Sadness is a strong energy. Anger it is a strong is intense. energy. Sexual pleasure is a strong it's energy. It's totally intense. I've I've uh, I've had conversations with girlfriends. It's a common thing where after the girl orgasms, the guy she says to the guy, like, Don't touch me. You know, it's like so good that yeah. you just you can't be touched. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So by learning how to consciously breathe mm. with the sensation and expand your sense of awareness so you're not you're not identified as the sensation but you're right. in a space in which it's happening Does okay that make sense yeah okay yeah. like you're the you're the container yeah you're the container in which it's happening there's there's some practices i teach about how to direct energy inside mm-hmm. so you 
learn, it's like strengthening a muscle. Okay, yeah. how do I be with this charge? And what, what gets most sensationalized is how to be with a sexual charge. Okay, but it's really it. any charge. Any charge. Any charge. So it's like how to gracefully release anger or how to... Because as women, actually, this has come up in an earlier episode. As women in society, we're not allowed to feel angry. We can feel sad. We can feel... Yeah, like we like on a lot of women, when they're angry, they cry. Mm. But like, we're not allowed to rage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it, a lot of the time, women don't have outlets for that. Yeah. This is, I mean, for a lot of women I work with, not all, but a mm. lot of women, this is one of the first pieces of the work mm. is the first thing is around learning boundaries, learning how we just practice really simply. I'm going to ask you 10 times to do different things. And every time I want you to say no and notice what it feels like to say no. Mm. You, know, you can say no, thank you. No, right now. Fuck no. You can say, you know, like whatever practice saying it's even in pedestrian situations this is something that it's a muscle you actually have to build yeah because as women you don't feel like or i guess we're not taught all the time that we have agency over ourselves yeah we have agency over our bodies first of all but also our personal space our careers our validity Mm -hmm. to be here a lot of the time and there's that approval that we don't necessarily need but it you know you always feel like you have to justify yourself to people Mm. in some way Mm. Mm. sometimes it's just no Mm -hmm. yeah like i read an article a while back that it was like you know when a guy hits on you and you're uncomfortable you should just say you have a boyfriend and said no actually you shouldn't do that and the no should be enough yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and that the conditioning around that is old and sometimes thick and Mm. so it takes counteracting that conditioning and learning this is my body, this is my energy, this is my space, and I have sovereignty over this space. Ooh, I like that. I have sovereignty over this space. (laughs) So inside, like, this is my temple. Inside this temple, I get to say what comes in and what goes out. Mm. And really, this, the you know, the old message is like, oh, a woman's sex is for pleasing someone else. Mm. Now we have to learn to undo that and experience the direct pleasure of our own sensations Mm. you know from as simple as just the pleasure of taking a full deep breath or stretching yeah it doesn't always have to be sexual pleasure it includes that yeah just that just the pleasure of being in this body and feeling alive inside of it so the consent work we can't go anywhere without that and this is this is something i feel pretty passionate about as far as i'm concerned if there isn't if the first few sessions of tantra work don't involve um, deep teaching about consent, I can't stand behind it. Yeah. If people are going into doing hands-on sexual healing work without a big piece around teaching what empowered consent is, yeah, I, I don't find that valid or fair. Like I, I, I don't find that to be a useful pra- practice. What is empowered consent versus regular consent? What I mean by empowered consent is that the person... The client, for example, is taught how to feel inside their own body and find a yes or a no from their body, Mm. not from their idea of what they should do or shouldn't do or what the right or wrong thing is, but to notice, like, if I ask you something, to notice, does my belly contract a little bit? Does Do I pull back a little bit? Or is there an opening or curiosity that happens? Is there something in between? There's something in between then we're not at a yes or a no yet. We're in a pause 
and gather more information, ask more questions, see what the system needs to feel fully safe and ready to have whatever interaction is going to be had. Yeah. Otherwise, without that, we can skip ahead and go into an experience that might be cathartic, it might be strong, it might be beneficial in certain ways, but we can be skipping over tender parts or young parts that were like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready or, you know, and those parts yeah. really need care. Yeah. Those parts need to be welcomed and to get that their voice matters. And we don't move forward until the whole family, so to speak, the whole inner family of your body is yeah. ready. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And so you really, I love this idea, empowered consent. It's not just what I want to be feeling or how I want to, whatever. It's how my body feels. Yeah. Right. Like I could say, like, I could think, oh, I, I want to whatever with that person. But if my body's like, no, you don't, then you don't. (laughs) I love that. And if I'm working with someone and I haven't gone through the process or I know that they've never gone through the process of practicing those Mm. and I can say, Hey, do you want to do so-and-so? And if they say yes to me, it doesn't really mean anything unless I know they can say no. So that's the empowered piece. Empowered to say no means that the yes actually means yes. Absolutely. There's this whole thing I had with a couple friends a while back and it was, thank you for letting me know, but not K-N-O-W-N-O. Thank you for for letting me say no. Because a lot of the time when we say yes to things that we don't want, it not only hurts ourselves, Mm -hmm. but it also hurts the other person because they've been given the yes and it wasn't given from that place of empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Okay, cool. So first we've got into empowered consent and we've really practiced the nose. And then what's some of the sexual healing work that you do? Like, cause for a lot of people at home, myself included, like I've never, I've never jumped in that pool. So what does that look like? How's the water? (laughs) So it's not all sexual healing. Some of what people come to me around is sexual healing. Some Mm. of it's um, challenges in relationship that are more emotionally oriented uh, a lot of different things. Yeah. So the, the primary focus is around how to rest down and in the body and meet the challenge from the felt sense. So that's kind of, that's the map we're using in every session, no yeah. matter what comes up. And using that map, I can see and feel through my own body what's being avoided or not included. And so usually when something's being avoided or not included, it's because there is, um, there's an old imprint or an old trauma around that Mm. and it's not comfortable to go there. So I provide the safe space where, okay, you know what? I can feel there's something that's not comfortable here to go into and you're not alone and we're going to do it together. We're in the safe space right here. It's just the two of us, and we're going to go only at your pace and go into sensing and feeling what's there and bringing it into consciousness. So that might look like, sometimes it looks like we're just sitting and talking, guiding like that. Sometimes it looks like we're doing a kind of guided breath work, bringing the breath or the awareness into some part of the body. And for those of you at home, breath work is a conscious, connected breath practice. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, breath with awareness. Okay. Breath with awareness. Sometimes there, I do physical work, like it, I might offer someone to learn how to track their felt sense inside their body by me just very gently putting my hand with their consent yeah. on their body and then meeting me from the inside out to feel directly from inside and meet me. So it's not like this touch is happening to them, yeah. but they're actively participating in that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
bit by bit like this it happens. There's like a gentle unraveling. You know, the body always tells me what needs to be brought attention into. Yeah. And show up together. Yeah. Yeah. And what are some of the things that people experience? Like, what are some of the like, aha, cathartic things that come out of this? <laughs> the most common thing is, um, the thing that I hear the m- most frequently from folks is, oh my God, this is so simple. How, I, but I, I just didn't see this before. Like, I just didn't know. Yeah direct my attention in right. this way. I wasn't given a manual for my meat body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and there's, they, you know, often people come in with this complicated story of like, you know, my boyfriend and my girlfriend, this or that, and they said this, and I felt that. Da, 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 da. Mm. We could sit and do talk therapy and go around in circles for hours or years mm. and not really have any real resolution. But if we slow down and drop in to the felt sense what's wanting to get touched in there can you get met with presence it's non-linear and it's a bit challenging to to talk about even but what happens usually is people meet themselves so there, there may be like there's there's a grief that's flowing or there's actually a love that's flowing that uh the mind has said don't feel that don't go there yeah and so there's all this kind of feeling distraught and unaligned, misaligned. Mm. So when there's permission and gentle guidance to go there, to feel that, to meet that, and we get whole again. Yeah. The energy moves. Some people often shake or cry or sweat or, you know, rage, yell. Yeah, the body has an experience. It's so interesting because for a lot of people, you don't move through an emotion until you actually move through it. You know, there's no getting over things. There's getting through them. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm Mm-hmm. That is very cool to know. So for all of you at home, that's Tantra. <laughs> Good stuff. I mean, you know, we've all seen the, um, you know, we've all, we've all, we, everyone has their own connotation, right? And sees things differently. And there's always, you know, kind of whisperings of it and, and you, you never really know what it is. And really, you know, sex doesn't have to be separate from whatever spiritual practice you have. And it's so interesting to come at it from this point of it's not just sex, it's the feeling in the body. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's nature. It's nature. And our connection to nature and to divinity, if you want to use that word, just the intelligence of the universe expressing in and as us, including our bodies mm. and the trees and the animals and all of that. Yeah. We're all part of it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Stay wild, you. Robin Lynn. We'll have all her links in the show notes. You can find her on Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, sorry, Facebook, and we'll post her website in the show notes. Thanks so much. All right, little humans, here's today's toast poem. It's somewhat related to what Robin talked about in terms of being empowered and embodied. So I wrote this poem maybe about a year ago, and I performed it at the Writers' Festival Poetry Slam here in Ubud. They had a women's poetry slam, and I got up and I read this poem, and um, it's really about coming into your own. So it's it's slightly related, but as usual, not that much. (laughs) So here we go. That girl... The one you'd send plane tickets to, who'd run into your arms at a moment's notice, no longer exists. That girl who sits around waiting for your call, no longer exists. That girl who puts your wants above her own needs, throwing herself onto the train tracks of disillusioned attachment, 
no longer exists. That girl is gone. An apparition tearing a hole into the ether of where she once stood, almost as if she never existed. That girl disappears into the woman. When the woman doesn't feel loved by others, that girl will reappear. When the woman doesn't love herself, that girl always appears. A shade of doubt, a metallic taste in your mouth, a momentary shadow eclipsing the sun on a bright day. Her presence threatens, volatile and uninvited. That girl exists within every woman. She makes herself small, is a good girl, does what she's told, plays nice. That girl is never good enough. Every woman will tell you they've met that girl. They've been that girl. Becoming, become, became. The woman transforms, opening her wings. The phoenix. Ash covering her brow, she sees anew. The dawn, the birth, the rebirth, the reclamation. Taking what's hers, her own master, the feathers fanning out from her flesh, the woman takes flight. Big thanks today to Robin Lynn. That's today's show. I'm so glad she was able to come on and talk about embodied consent. I'm all about consent, little humans. I think it's, you know, it's such a vital human thing. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's toast poem. If you're coming to Bali, use our code STAYWILD for the five-day spirit pass or Stay Wild Abundance for the full enchilada abundance pass if you're able to come over to Bali for Bali Spirit Festival. Today's podcast is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I'm a singer-songwriter. I draw an original Daily Doodle cartoon. You can see all my shenanigans at NJ Loves. That's NJ like Norma Jean, loves.com. As usual, if you're liking the show, please subscribe, write us a review on iTunes, share it with everyone you know. It helps other people find the show. Until next time, little humans. Stay wild. So we keep on keeping on.